Vintage Church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. It's why we do everything we do. This standard for the church was set by Jesus himself when he passed the baton to his first followers. Jesus modeled what the Father desired for his people, and it is this example that we aim to reflect. We take this time every year to examine his life, to be reminded of what it really means to live and love like Jesus. This is Live Love 2019. That's church right there. Come on, somebody. Amen. Uh, well, good evening to my favorite gathering of the weekend. Love you guys. Hey, it's been an awesome weekend and just what God does in this time. Yesterday, in our 11 o'clock gathering, during this time, before the message, five people got saved. Just the Holy Spirit was moving and just quickly... God put it on my heart to kind of just share the gospel real quick and just says a few things. And next thing I know, people started walking down front. I started freaking out a little bit, but somewhat excited too. And it was just cool, man, to see God moving. Yeah, in, in, in 2006, I was pastoring, I was a youth pastor at this little bitty country church in Seneca, South Carolina. I've been their youth pastor for almost 10 years. And God began to do something in my life. And I don't know if you know my story. I grew up in the church. My dad, he's right there counting all you beautiful people. Say hello to my dad. Give him some love, everybody. Uh, I've been a youth pastor. So I grew up in the church. But I'm a youth pastor at this time. And, and for some reason, something just started getting unsettled in my spirit. And I didn't really know what it was. And, and everything was good, and, and the ministry that God has given us was effective, and we had, we, we had a, a great friendships and, and good jobs, and everything was secure, and everything was good, but for some reason, I was miserable. Have you ever been in one of those spaces, like, you're miserable and you don't know why? And in that time, I started, God led me to the book of Acts, and I just started reading in the book of Acts. And I had read the book of Acts before. But something new just started jumping out to me as I read through the book of Acts. The, 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 the people that got to do all this for the first time, the people that were the ones that got handed the baton personally from Jesus, got handed the reins of the movement that he had begun first. And what I, what I began to read in the book of Acts began to stir something in me. Because what I saw in the early church, the first century church, I'd never seen in my whole life. And it, it both excited me and broke my heart. Because I saw this organic, powerful move of God that was so real and raw and authentic that I thought, what happened to us? Why does my experience in church not look like what I'm reading? Like where I'm reading where people are getting saved every day. And that's why, you know what, yesterday shouldn't surprise me. Because it says daily people were getting saved. What should be surprising is if we go through a day and people don't find Jesus. And talking about the generosity and that kind of stuff. And in that moment, Vintage Church was born. Vintage, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means representing the high quality of a past time. So if you've ever wondered why we call it Vintage Church, no, it's not because it's an old-timey church. <laughs> it's because God began to stir something. I, I began to pray, God, I want to be a part of something that reflects that. I want to be a part of something that looks like that. I want to be a part of something that, that embodies the, the, what, what happened in the book of Acts. And you know what I began to discover? In the book of, Hats, in the book of Acts, they, they didn't have all this. 
And now don't get me wrong. I love all this stuff. It's fun. It's awesome. And I think it's tools that are necessary in the culture that we live to a degree. But this isn't why Vintage Church is still here. It's not this building. It's not these lights. It, it's, it's not even all the talent that's on this stage when I'm not on it because there is a lot that is on it. Good gracious do we get led by the most awesome group of people on the planet. What happened in the book of Acts was people actually lived and loved like Jesus. That the people that actually met Jesus, believed in Jesus, actually consistently and authentically lived in a way that looked like Jesus. And you know what it caused people to do? What's wrong with them? People began to take notice. Like if you go into the book of Acts, the first time that people are called Christians is in Antioch. And actually the word like meant like little Christs. Because the people at that point in time were so living and loving like Jesus that that's the only term they could think of for them. Like these people so look like that Jesus fella that we're just going to call them little Jesuses. And they lived in such a way, they represented Jesus so well that they changed the world. In spite of great persecution and in spite of no resources and in spite of all the obstacles that were before them, this movement kept growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And it somehow got to somebody who got to you and got to me. And the reason why it's kept going, even though culture and many times people have tried to say the church is dead, no, it's alive and well. It hasn't been because we started doing things in a new and cooler way. What has kept this thing going and what will keep this thing going is when people leave buildings like this and actually live in love like Jesus. That is how we will change the world. And that's why from the onset, the mission of this church, the why behind this body has been inspiring people to live in love like Jesus. Because from that day until this day, I believed if we could do something in here that would so motivate us and challenge us and stretch us and change us that when we went out there, we actually allowed the Holy Spirit to move in us and take what we've learned and put it in our hearts in a deep-rooted way that it began to transform the way that we lived, that we just might change the world too. That the, I said it, I've said it, I think, every series. This is Live Love 10.0, and I, think it, and I think I've said it in every version, that the best way to inspire people to live in love like Jesus is to actually live in love like Jesus. Like when you and I live in love like Jesus, when through the power of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we're able to authentically and consistently live in love like Jesus, that's how we're going to change the world. And it's hard to believe that it's been 10 years since God brought this little bitty small group of people that started out in Greensboro and brought us to Random and for the first time in 2009, we did a version of Live Love. And I don't know what I thought it would look like 10 years later. I think it's kind of cool that 10 years later, we're worshiping just two songs in that set list that were birthed in this house. That's pretty cool. And I don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now, but God's doing some new things. And I can't tell you about them yet, but I will soon that are gonna be even greater. But how, what's it gonna take for us to be here 10 years from now? The same thing it's taken the entire time. 
that we can't lose sight of the purpose that you and I have is to live in love like Jesus. That what God wants to do in your life, if you've ever been wondering, is he wants to transform you into the likeness of his son. In Jesus, God looked at humanity and said, that's how you do it. And our job is to look like him more and more every day. First John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Like if we claim an affiliation with him, we have to live in love like Jesus. And we are to represent him well. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's words. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That God is using our lives to bring other people to him. That you have life and breath because God wants to leverage your life and your influence and your relationships and your platforms in order to accomplish his purposes. That God wants to use you. And I know... And, I talk to people all the time, like, Pastor, I just don't know my purpose. I just don't know my purpose. Well, I can answer that one for you really quickly. Your purpose is to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. And it doesn't matter. I said last week, it doesn't matter what that platform is. See, the people who are called to inspire people to live in love like Jesus are not people that just have platforms that look like this one. There are people that have platforms that look like kids who are watching you to find their example co-workers who are staring at you because they know you claim to follow Jesus, neighbors who are trying to figure out why you're so excited even though your car won't crank. <laughs> like they're are, there are, there are watching you. And see, I know that that brings a lot of pressure. But that's our purpose. And as we've been moving into this, and, and see, the reason why we have to revisit this really intensely every year is because this is a group of people trying to live in love like Jesus, but we don't always get it right. And we're still trying to figure it out. And so once a year, we just really intentionally and really intensely revisit this, and we, re we really stare into the life of Jesus. And the only way we can really know how to live in love like Jesus is to know how Jesus lived and loved. And there's only one place that you can find that, and that's in the Scripture. That God strategically gave us this account of Jesus' life to show us what it means to live and love like him. And culture can't define Jesus. And I know we've we're turning Jesus and twisting Jesus into all these things that I'm not sure that he really is. And the only way for you really to know how Jesus lived in love is you've got to open this book. And look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of it. But we have these accounts of Jesus' life that, that God has strategically given us. And if this is the thought that God has given me in this season, that if we're going to mirror the way he loved, we have to model the way he lived. I thought y'all gonna clap. I'm just gonna let you for a second. Because this is what God's been teaching me. Like he was able to love so intensely because he loved in such, in he lived in such intimacy. That it was the way he lived in such intimacy with the father that empowered him to love with such intensity other people. And it's funny, you notice Jesus' life. He spent 30 years in private for three years in public. That God was building something, this power to release in him. And it was reminded last week that it's those private moments that equip us to live in that public platform that he gives us. And you know what? I think most of us are getting that and we understand that. 
And we leave here week in and week out with the best of intentions. Like we come to church and we sing and we lift our hands and we doubt. And some of y'all get a little crazy and it's awesome. And we walk out of this building and with really sincere intention, we plan on living and loving like Jesus. We walk out of here thinking, yes, this is the week. I'm going to live and love like Jesus. I know I didn't do it really good last week, God, but this week, my week, I don't care what happens. I don't care what she says. I don't care what he does. I don't care what happens in the drive-thru at Bojangles tomorrow. I am going to live and love like Jesus. Come on, somebody. You do. And even you get up on Monday. I know it's Monday. I got my black coffee and my King James Bible. I'm going to live in love like Jesus. And then Monday night comes, you hit your pillow, you think, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> maybe tomorrow I'll get it right. Because you move throughout the day, and if you're like me, really good intentions get swallowed up by real distraction. <laughs> that we have all the intentions to walk in purpose. And we could do that if we didn't have to deal with all the pressure and problems of real life. Like, let's just be honest. Like, a lot of days we feel that, but the problem is our intentions have to navigate all these experiences that can easily distract us, and eventually, before we know it, we've been pushed off purpose. Life can very quickly and very aggressively at times, move us off mission, can't it? <laughs> and do you ever think, like, all right, God, if I'm going to live on purpose, you got to change some stuff. <laughs> Especially my spouse. <laughs> and my job. And my financial situation. And when all this stuff gets just right, I will walk in purpose. Can I give you some news? That ain't gonna happen. That if you are waiting on perfection, you will never walk in purpose. If you are waiting on perfection, you will never walk in purpose. If you're waiting for everything to align just right, and all the stuff to be resolved, and all the things to be fixed, and all the issues to go away. It will when you die. <laughs> but not until. And you know what's interesting though? When I study the life of Jesus, Jesus was not without pressure and problems. but somehow he managed to stay on purpose. That Jesus never let pressure and problems push him off purpose. Never. Not a single time did Jesus ever allow the experiences that could have very easily become distractions to his intentions move him off mission. And I don't know if you've ever really looked at it, so we're going to look at it together tonight. Because if you think that, oh, Jesus just had this nice little breezy walk to the cross, just every now and then maybe having to deal with them religious folk, 
and didn't have to navigate the same pressures and problems that you and I have to navigate, and you never really paid attention to his word. Because he walked through many, if not all, of the very same things that we have to find a way to navigate and still stay on mission. And see, the reason why maybe we're not going to change the world like we could is because life keeps happening and we keep letting us move us. And it's not that the distractions aren't devastating because so many of them are. But we've got to find a way to stay on purpose because things are never going to be perfect. And we get one shot at this life to use it for his glory. And I've wasted too many years of mine. Too many days have gone by when I've let the enemy leverage distractions to push me off what I intended to do that day. And when you look at Jesus, man, let's just, let's just dive into a few. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Because perhaps one of the most difficult things that we have to endure and still stay on purpose is loss. Perhaps the hardest thing that we deal with in this life is the loss of someone we love. Come on, somebody. Because losing someone you love brings about pain like nothing else. Especially when it's too soon or it doesn't make sense. And I encounter so many people that are paralyzed by that pain. And now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I understand that that pain and there's a time to grieve and there's a process that we have to go through. But can I just say something to you? When you lose somebody you love, it will create a pain that may never go away this side of eternity. Somebody in this room, you know that time does not heal all wounds, does it? I know some well-intentioned, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. If it did, I wouldn't still be hurting. There are some wounds that will be inflicted on you in this life that will not be healed until your heavenly Father holds you in his arms in heaven. And somehow we have to find a way to, even in the midst of that great pain, continue to walk on purpose and you know how we can do I know we can do it because Jesus did it and I don't think Jesus modeled anything for us that he can't empower us to do when we meet Jesus he's 30 years old and from the time he's 30 to the time he goes to the cross there's nothing mentioned of his father his earthly father Joseph so we we assume that he probably died that Jesus lost his earthly father before age 30. Some of y'all know that pain. But even, even then, even in the midst, that wasn't the only loss. Even in the midst of ministry, he gets word that one of the men that he's closest to, one of the men he most respects, the one who baptized him, we talked about last week, John the Baptist, loses his life. And Jesus gets word of this in the midst of the mission field. And look how he responds. Says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Number one, that's a reminder that it's okay to take some time for yourself. It's okay to withdraw and not let yourself to be accessible for a season because you have to heal and get yourself together. Now, I think I would have needed longer than Jesus seems to take. It says, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, y'all need to go somewhere. I'm, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, and I'm, I'm not ready for this. But look what it says in verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That somehow, it, Jesus, with this pain, 
still fresh. Manage to stay on purpose. Now, I don't know how long it is for us to grieve, and I don't know how long of a season we need on the sidelines in order to heal. But if you're waiting for the pain to go away completely before you keep pursuing purpose, that's just not going to happen. Y'all with me? And I know sometimes preachers can pressure us before we're ready, and I'm not trying to do that. That's not what I'm trying to say. I know that we all need a season when we go through loss to grieve and that kind of stuff, but if you are waiting for the pain to be completely gone, that may never happen, and you still have purpose. Jesus would deal with another situation in the midst of the ministry in a way that was powerful and effective. Remember when he gets word that the one he loves is sick? And they don't even, they don't use his name, Lazarus. They say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. That somebody you deeply care about is sick and to the point of death. But Jesus does not hit Paul's on purpose. Look at what he says when he hears the news. John chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he was so in love with them, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, now let us go back to Judea. Why did Jesus stay where he was two days? Two more days, even in the midst of hearing this type of news? Why did he stay for two more days? Because I believe purpose required that he stay there. And Jesus never let anything push him off purpose. And now we know how it ended. Later he would come in there and they'd be like, he, he's dead for a long time. Dude, he's stinky dead. Like he's not just dead dead, he's stinky dead. And he calls Lazarus and Lazarus walks out of the grave. But Jesus in his ministry was able to make a distinction that I'm not always really good at making. Jesus always knew how to distinguish between what felt urgent and what was important and I don't do that very well because what feels urgent isn't always what's most important and sometimes we fall victim to what feels urgent and neglect what is important and when we give attention to what feels urgent and neglect what is important we get moved off mission and somehow Jesus was able to stay on purpose. Even when those people close to him or closest to him tried to pressure him to move off purpose, Jesus still didn't give in. Even in those moments when the disciples continued to act like knuckleheads and say things that didn't make sense, and say things that showed they misunderstood what Jesus was really about, he never let their influence or their opinion push him off purpose. You're going to have people in your life as you pursue purpose that always have an opinion. And I won't say what they say about opinions because we're in church. <laughs> Remember this encounter? Peter took him, Jesus, aside because, see, what Jesus had just said, guys, i got to die. 
It's getting close to the time that I'm supposed to do what I really came to do. And what I really came to do was die on a cross. And Peter says he took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you just imagine how this went down? Jesus, I need to talk to you for a second over here. No, Jesus. Like, that's pretty much how the scripture decides. He says, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter just doesn't get it. And even though he's well-intentioned, and even though he loves Jesus, he just shows, once again, that in this moment, he doesn't understand Jesus' purpose. There's going to be people in your life, as you pursue purpose, that they don't get it. They don't understand the decisions you're making. They don't understand the course of direction in your life. They don't understand why you're sacrificing so much. They don't understand why you come to church on Monday nights. And they're going to be quick to tell you even when you don't ask them. So my response is for you to tell them what Jesus told them. Get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus, Jesus turned and said to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That even when people close to him tried to exert their opinion and push their opinion, he didn't let their opinion push him off purpose. Because he knew what God had told him to do. Even when, in order to continue to pursue purpose, Jesus had to step outside tradition, he was willing to do it. Like even when, in order to continue to pursue purpose, Jesus had to step out what was culturally normal and culturally acceptable and outside of what had always been done. Can you imagine that, that, that there, Jesus was so committed to his purpose, that even if it meant doing something different, he was willing to do it. Man, if the church would learn that lesson. And they would come to him, the religious people would be like, hey, why do y'all break tradition to do this? How are you going to heal somebody on the Sabbath? It's the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. See, Jesus never let tradition stand in the way of mission. He was always willing to step out, even when it wasn't normal, even when it wasn't comfortable, even when it doesn't make sense. And even when people told him, hey, you can't do that. Why not? Because that's not the way we do it. You can't have church on Monday. Nobody's going to show up. See, sometimes tradition can become an enemy of mission. And when it does, and when it did for Jesus, he always chose mission over tradition. Why? Because he never let anything push him off purpose. He never let anything move him off mission. Even when, just before he was about to go to the cross, and the reality of everything that it was going to cost him in order to purchase humanity out of their sin was over him. He still didn't let himself be moved. Do you remember? He's about to be arrested. He's about to go through these trials and this beating and go to the cross. And, and the weight of what he was called to do begins to just boil up inside of him. And he, the reality of what's happening, like he's about to go to the cross. And it says in Matthew 26, verse 38, so then he said to them, his disciples, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch 
with me. Like Jesus says, like, I'm like, I'm about to step into the fullness of my purpose, and the thought of about what's going to happen next, it's got me so overwhelmed and so stressed out and so just spent. Even the Bible says that, like, he began to, like, sweat blood. That, that, like, that's an actual physiological condition where you get so stressed that the capillaries begin to burst into your, into your sweat, and your sweat has a, a red tint because you're just that overwhelmed and stressed. But even then, he doesn't allow himself to move off purpose. Look at what he says. He says, going a little further, he fell on his face on the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Like, God, if, if there's another way we can do this, I'm all in. <laughs> because the way that this is headed seems like more than I can do right now. See, if you follow Jesus and you follow your purpose, there's going to come a moment when what he's calling you to do feels like it's beyond your capacity to do it. Listen to me. As you pursue Jesus and you follow Jesus, Jesus is going to bring you to a place where what he's going to call you to do next is bigger and greater and more costly and more uncomfortable than what he's ever called you to do before. I know, been there. And what will you do when your calling feels greater than your capacity? I hope I can do what Jesus did. And not as I will but as you will. If following your will means I continue to walk this path to my purpose, if that's what you want from me, God, I will. Because Jesus never let anything push him off purpose. He never let anything move him off mission. What if we were the same way? What if our intentions turned into real action? What if we stop letting the enemy leverage all the things that are swirling around us to push us off purpose? And we actually walked in purpose consistently and powerfully. Because see, like the enemy's trying to leverage every experience to push you off purpose. You know that, right? This is something you need to know. Because if the enemy cannot have your eternity, he will settle for your effectiveness. See, if he can't have your eternity, he'll settle for your effectiveness. What he wants to do, if he can't have your soul because you've given your life to Jesus, what he wants to do is, is hinder your effectiveness. Because if he can't have you, he wants to make sure that God doesn't use you to get anybody else. So if he can render you ineffective, he still wins. Even though he doesn't have your soul, even though he doesn't have your eternity, if he can push you off purpose so that God doesn't use you to bring other lost people to Jesus, then the enemy wins and the kingdom stays stagnant. And so you need, we need, I need to know and see these things for what they are. See, because the reality is that pressure and problems aren't an obstacle to purpose, they're an opportunity for purpose. Because see, when you've gone through loss, you can minister to people who have been through loss. When you've had to look at other people and say, you're Satan, get behind me. You can walk with other people who are experiencing the same thing. See, see, God wants to use all these experiences so that we can share them and we can learn from each other and we can grow from each other and we can lean from each other so that we can stay on purpose and change the world. 
So what are you letting push you off purpose? Because Jesus has demonstrated from the onset. See, I think everything that Jesus has shown us in here is for a purpose. Remember, God, God models this stuff for us. That God doesn't do this stuff because he needed to. But everything that God does and everything Jesus does was to be a demonstration for us, to teach us something about what he wants to do in our lives. And what he's saying is, hey, if you keep waiting for perfection, you are never going to walk in purpose. And we're never going to accomplish everything in this life that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. So bring on the pressure. Let the problems keep coming. Because I serve a God who is with me through them all. And I will continue to take territory for him even when it's not easy, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's costly. And now the biggest question is, <laughs> how was Jesus able to do this? I heard a preacher say one time that private moments is where the power is found for the public ministry. He's stayed so intimate with the Father that when the intensity of life grew up, he was tapped into the source that gave him the strength to keep walking in purpose. Just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Hey, what are you letting push you off purpose? What are you letting move you off mission? Would you just be honest about it for a little while tonight? Would you wrestle with that question? I know, I know you walk out of here with the best of intentions every week. And I also know that you get hit like I get hit with things that distract and seek to derail us from our destiny. But I also know that we serve a God that says, you don't have to keep living like that. And the way that you do is you got to stay close to the Father. And so tonight... I want to invite you to crawl up into the lap of your heavenly father. Forget you're in a room with a lot of people and just have a moment, a private moment in a public place. Maybe to do that, you want to get out of your seat and come and kneel around this platform or turn it into an altar or get out on the sides or lay down in the aisle or whatever you need to do. But if you'll spend some time with him, he will give you the strength you need to handle the pressure, to overcome the problems, and to keep walking in purpose. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that your spirit sweeps over and around and through and in this room and that you speak like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.